Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. We had a wonderful time at Money 2020. Vegas, as you would imagine, is a blast. Uh, But what happens in Vegas stays on this podcast. Uh, So here's a selection of interviews for you. Welcome back to Fintech Insiders live stream here from Money 2020 in Las Vegas. And I'm now joined by Omar Ishmael, who as of yesterday is, let me get this right, Head of America for Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Is that correct? That is correct. Great Welcome. to be here. Thank you for coming along. Um, could you start off, we haven't had you on the podcast before, so could you start off by giving us a quick overview of what your role is within, within the group? Sure. So um, I head up the U.S. business for Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Um, Today in the U.S., we have uh, three businesses. Uh, We have an unsecured personal loans business, uh, offering consumers a way to refinance their credit card debt at three to 500 basis points lower than what they're paying on their credit card. Uh, We have an online deposits business, which is a high-yield account where consumers can earn 1.95%. The minimum to open an account is a dollar. And again, it is, you know, four times the national average relative to what they're paying uh, or getting paid in their checking account. Uh, And then we have a personal financial management app called Clarity Money, which we recently acquired, uh, which again gives consumers um, financial tools to help them manage uh, their personal economy uh, and gives them actionable insights to improve their their financial financial well-being. Uh, We also recently launched a deposits business in the UK, as I'm sure you know. Uh, And again, that is uh, similar to our US business, where again, consumers can earn a high yield uh, interest uh, account. Uh, and again, it's a very significant uh, improvement in a value proposition relative to what they're earning in their checking account in the UK. I have a Marcus account. I can totally confirm that that is true. You have the That's best great. rates of any of the accounts. Thank you for being a customer. <laughs> Anytime. Um, so the, can you talk us through a little bit the, the, sort of the inception of Marcus? Because sure. previously, Goldman Sachs hasn't really been known for its retail business. So can you talk us through the, kind of the history and the founding sure. of it? Sure. So um, the Marcus journey, I mean, um, we launched Marcus two years ago, but the journey in many ways began a couple of years before that. Um, in, uh, in 2014, a group of us got together. I was actually um, in the private equity group at, uh, at Goldman at the time. And a group of us got together looking at opportunities that Goldman Sachs might have uh, in the consumer banking space broadly defined. Uh, as you probably know, Goldman Sachs became a bank uh, coming out of the crisis. Uh, but for the first few years, we had done very little by way of new businesses that we had started in the bank. Uh, and when a group of us started looking at it four years ago, we saw a couple of opportunities and a couple of trends. One, the fact that consumers were willing to engage much more online with their financial institutions. They had very, very significant pain points around the offerings that were uh, existing in the marketplace. Uh, and really felt like they didn't have control over their financial lives and their relationship with money was broken. Uh, and for us at Goldman, by virtue of having become a bank, uh, but not having any businesses, we didn't have any legacy technology, we didn't have any legacy business models, and we really saw an opportunity to be the best of both worlds. On the one hand, we had all the advantages of being a bank, uh, and on the other hand, we didn't have any legacy, and so we could create a 21st digital experience and really give consumers value and do it in a way that was simple and customizable and on their side. Uh, and that's really the origins of, uh, of the story of Marcus. We started off, as you know, and we mentioned with a personal loan product here in the U.S. Uh, and over time have added more products, as I mentioned. And our vision really is to create, you know, a leading platform for consumers to help them get control over their financial lives, give them products to help them save, to help them borrow, to help them spend, to help them invest. 
uh, and do it in a way that's truly on their side. So actually, you are a challenger bank, really. I mean, Goldman Sachs, maybe not a challenger brand, but, but Marcus yeah. is, is up there with the neobanks. Yeah, we really talk of ourselves as a startup inside a 150-year-old institution. <laughs> the next year, you know, next year, Goldman Sachs is going to celebrate its 150th year anniversary. And again, by virtue of having no legacy, no legacy technology, no legacy business models, uh, but really having the heft, the commitment, uh, the balance sheet, the brand presence of Goldman Sachs behind it, we think is the best of both worlds, being a fintech or being a startup inside a 150-year-old institution. Yeah, sounds, absolutely, and your success proves it. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about the acquisition of its Clarity Money, is that correct? Um, is the plan to incorporate that into another product, or is that going to remain sort of a standalone sort of Clarity Money by Goldman yeah. Sachs for the time being? Uh, we were really attracted to the Clarity Money value proposition and it really fit very nicely with what we were or have been trying to do um, in Marcus. As I mentioned, you know, the consumer's relationship with money really is broken. You know, the average consumer in the U.S., and I suspect it's similar um, in the U.K., you know, has 20, 25 different financial services relationships. They have four credit cards, they have a checking account, they have a bunch of insurance accounts, they have auto loans, they have mortgages. Uh, and they really feel like they're not in control of their financial lives. And what Clarity Money really does is it basically aggregates all of your financial picture in one app, but that in many ways is table stakes. What they really do then is, on the basis of that data, give you actionable insights to improve their financial life and create frictionless experiences inside the app uh, to take um, action and to actually, um, you know, act on those insights. And so as an example, if you happen to have $10,000 sitting in your 0% uh, interest rate checking account, and we can tell by the data uh, of your spending patterns that you only re really need 1000 in that account, you can actually take 9000 of it and put it in a savings account and in the U.S. earn 1.95%. And so that's really the thesis behind Clarity. And our vision for Clarity really is for it to become, you know, our storefront to engage with millions of customers. Um, you know, they'll buy our products, whether it's our loans or our savings accounts. Uh, but it'll also be open architecture. And to the extent that, you know, other products made sense for consumers, you know, we want to make those available to them all with the idea of giving consumers control over their financial lives and helping them improve their financial well-being. So it sounds almost similar to what we've seen a little bit in the UK of this marketplace model. So the consumer gets to pick which products are best for them rather than the bank saying, oh, you need to have your entire financial life from us. Yeah. The, the, uh, that's true, although I do think it's important that you, know, you, you have certain marketplaces that are just all about selling, selling, mm -hmm. selling, selling. And I think you... The way Clarity does it and the way we continue to want to continue to do it is to make sure that it's truly on the side of the customer. If a product does not make sense for a customer, let's not offer it to them. Yeah. Uh, do it in a way that's truly on the customer's side. If the consumer obviously has high-paying credit card debt and we can offer them four or 500 basis points lower and help them finance their credit card debt and get them out of the cycle of debt faster... We should yeah. make that available to them. You should if be it selling them a higher credit card rate. Exactly. But if it doesn't make sense for them, let's not offer it. And, and I think it's really important to do it in a way that's truly on the side of the customer. And uh, so we've obviously, you know, you've come to, to the UK with the, with the savings product, the deposits product. Will you be bringing Clarity Money and some of the other products over to the UK as well? Yeah. So uh, we're a few weeks in into the UK. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just want to go faster. <laughs> we're, uh, we're super excited by, you know, the early success that we've had. We've gratified by the response that our customers have given us there. Just in a few weeks after launch, you know, we've opened over 75,000 accounts. We have over $2 billion in deposits. 
And, uh, you know, so we're, we're super gratified by the response that we've gotten. But it's early days. We obviously want to continue to grow this platform. But look, over time, just like in the U.S., um, you know, we'll look to add additional products that make sense for our, uh, for our consumers. But still in the first innings <laughs> of our, uh, uh, first innings of our uh, U.K. deposits launch. Well, I, I for one, am very excited for what comes next. Awesome. Um, do you have any plans to go anywhere outside of the UK, or is it just you use the UK, you're going to see how it goes, the business goes there, and then yeah. maybe yeah. go elsewhere? Look, I would say that, um, you know, we're constantly looking at new opportunities, you know, nothing on the horizon, nothing imminent, but, you know, over time, of course, we'll look at other geographies in Europe that make sense uh, as well. Uh, but again, as I said, right now our focus is on the UK. <laughs> well, no, that makes sense. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, if people wanted to find out a bit more about you or about Marcus, where should they go? Yeah. Can you give us the, the Marcus link for the UK? Perhaps? Sure, sure. <laughs> so marcus.co.uk uh, is our site in the, in the UK. Marcus.com is our site here. Clarity Money is an app that's available both in the App Store uh, and uh, Android here in the US. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you. Thank you for the time and appreciate talking to you. Thank you very much. Take care. Couple of things I want to get over with uh, Jason, CEO Marketo, great company. Put the kicks up, man. We both we both are. I'm obviously a, I'm a big sneaker fan. Adidas, Adidas Europe. Nice, yeah, I don't nice know shoes. if uh, anybody are StockX fans. I would highly recommend Ooh, StockX. Really? Actually, a company that's headquartered in Detroit. And I am now. I'm going to look him up. Dan Gilbert this. sits on the board, who yeah. is the man. Uh, Dan the, owns all of Detroit. He owns of Detroit. He's like the mayor of Detroit. Are you like the mayor of Oakland? Because you're out of Oakland. Which no, nobody, I'm impressed nobody knows by. I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's not true. He just said nobody knows who I am. Goldman just named him one of the most 100 intriguing people. Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. Yes. And we were just talking about what does intriguing mean. That's a very good question. I, I think what intriguing means is um, launching a company in a space that nobody was really paying attention to and in turn um, basically opened up a whole brand new market, which was modern card issuing. So modern card issuing, the concept of modern card issuing, and modern card issuing is businesses building on top of Marketa uh, card products that either support their core business or is their core business. And they can be physical plastic cards, they can be virtual cards or tokenized cards that fit into Apple Pay or Android Pay or soon many, many different wallets. There's about 50 plus wallets throughout Asia. Um, and that opening up of that market that didn't exist before is, I think, is intriguing. Um, the cohort is incredible. I mean, it's like the, yeah. uh, the founder and CEO of Allbirds, founder and CEO of Rothy's, uh, 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 Zach Perret from Plaid. Um, Man, uh, they've been doing well Founder lately. and CEO of Juice Beauty. <laughs> yeah. So the, the cohort was pretty incredible. I mean, it's, I was very surprised like, to see all of it because they don't really tell you who is also yeah. there. Uh, you know, it's uh, 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 Catherine and, and Rob Frohein from, from Cabbage. Good friends of um, ours. So it was cool. It was, it was nice to show up there. Um, my wife got to join me for all of the events, and she still has no idea what we do. <laughs> uh, so to hear us in a lot of conversations... Uh, she's like, I finally got it. So um, it was it was great. Well, Goldman's a backer, as is Visa. Yes. You've got some very top-tier names back in the company, which is fantastic. Yes. So that's a wonderful uh, validation of what you've been doing. And I like how you started. You, you guys, back in 210, you saw around the curve, right? Or you probably saw the curve around the curve and then the next curve. Because what you're doing now, what you're doing now is considered kind of the model, right, for, for other companies, especially when we're talking about APIs getting plugged into the ecosystem, but you, you were there way before most other companies. Well, I think there's a couple concepts. So APIs and platforms, you know, back in 2010, yeah. um, nobody really was talking about any of this stuff. Uh, it was sort of like 
buzzwords within Silicon Valley. Yeah. And our thinking was, and this was after I, I, I co-founded and sold another payments company. I was on the acquiring side, so the money in, the MoneyGram. And then just became fascinated by cards and the 16 digits on a Visa or MasterCard. Where do they route to? And these companies were very old. Uh, still, you know, running IBM, uh, IBM mainframe or Tandem mainframe backends, uh, Cobalt code holding everything together. And the thinking was as well, you know, there are probably all these companies that haven't been invented yet. Many of that will be developer-led, and they're going to want to not have to go to a bank uh, and say, I want to build a card product to support my core business or be my core business. They actually want access to the metal to go build these products. So we, we nailed it. Like... Uh, and the company has been scaling. We're 240 people. Uh, you know, now two offices. We operate natively, which means we're certified and have worked with financial institutions in the U.S., Canada, and Europe. And you know, already planning sort of our next geography, which will kick off in 2019. So the Europe expansion is interesting <laughs> because your London office is literally within a five-minute walk of ours in Shoreditch. So um, I think you said maybe five employees right now? Uh, no, it's five employees today, and we're going to start. We just, uh, one Marketin moved from Oakland, lives in Berlin now. Uh, we're going to have another one moving into Berlin. Uh, I like Berlin. Good for you. I yeah, love Berlin. Awesome. It's an interesting fintech <clears throat> space. It really is. I like Germany. Yeah, you have know, amazing companies like N26. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot of fintech. Um, you have, it feels like, uh, Berlin feels like San Francisco did back in the very early days around the yeah. entrepreneurs showing up and looking to build new types of companies. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of fintech there. Uh, not that we're going to open up an office there. We're looking at, uh, we are looking at Germany to open up an office, but we're looking at other places in continental Europe. Uh, we just felt like the UK was a place to start. Um, you have an amazing concentration of financial services companies. Uh, and uh, there's obviously nothing like Marquetta. So we felt it was a great place to start. Uh, we put together an amazing team of in incredibly uh, talented and experienced folks uh, who have operated within uh, the card world. So we're pretty, pretty excited. I'll tell you the thing that has bugged me the most, and I've been wanting to ask you this now, Lord, for about a year, because I constantly have to send emails with Marquetta in the name, and I always put the U yeah. after the Q. Why did you not put the U after the Q? So I'll give you the, the history or the background of yes, so Marquette, how he named the company. Uh, so after uh, college, graduated from Arizona State, um, I wanted to go back. You're a New York, you're Jersey, sorry, Jersey Jew, and you went to Arizona State. Why? Because I, I was a terrible student. Oh, me too. Uh, we, have a lot, we have so much in common. Yeah, I had, I had like uh, I had little businesses when I was in high school. Uh, like pick your weeds, mow your grass, you know, shovel yeah. snow. I made tie-dyes senior year of high school. And um, I really, I really go to school in California. My dad lived in the Bay Area. Uh, I grew up surfing. I grew up literally uh, uh, a mile from a beach. Uh, I grew up uh, surfing, skating, sailing, and uh, really wanted to go to school in California. But, you know, it's very hard when you have a C average to be an out-of-state resident. Yeah. And um, uh, my dad said, hey, you know, uh, my, um, the guy I works next to, his son goes to Arizona State. And I'm like, Arizona State, I, I, don't, I don't wear cowboy hats. I'm not, I don't have, I don't have boots. And uh, he said, no, you should go look. So he literally flew me out there. I met him there, and I completely fell in love with Arizona. Yeah. So I uh, went to community college, got a 3.8, and uh, transferred in. Uh, graduated, uh, backpacked Europe for four months, uh, right after I graduated college. And um, I was in uh, Prague during uh, their first 
they're sort of their July 4th. And uh, Havel spoke in Trafalgar Square. It was pretty amazing. And there was a party that night. And my, uh, my, uh, one of my best friends in the world, Brian Morse, who lives, still lives in uh, Chicago, uh, he met a girl named Marquetta. Oh, that's so a great story. I'm sitting there in 2010 trying to think of a name. And the name just popped in my head. It was Marquetta with a K. Right. And that was taken. It's a Chinese magnet company out of uh, China. And uh, I just switched the K to a Q, and then that was it. What I didn't know was that people were going to type Marquetta and add a U in the name. I've tried to buy that URL. The guy <laughs> knows that we're a company who, because uh, he sees, you know, I probably yeah. see some emails every so often. But, uh, you know, now it's like we're pretty commonplace. Yeah. Uh, it still happens from time to time, but uh, people are figuring it's, it out. It's a great name. I thought maybe you went to, like, Marquetta or something like that, but no, I like I, your I story speak Spanish, much better. So, oh, really? You know, Marquetta is like a, like a marketplace of sorts. Yeah. Uh, Marquetta without a U is, is, is not a word uh, in Spanish. It, uh, it is names of people. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. I own Marquetta with a K. I own every other URL except .com. But I think at this point, even if I got .com, we probably wouldn't change it. Well, you, de- you guys definitely aren't flying under the radar whatsoever. There's so much press that's out there about the company. The success has been great. This expansion to Europe will be very interesting. I can't wait to see what the next market is. I think the, the last question I want to ask, and, and I think it's going to be one of the most revealing about you, your favorite Yiddish word is? Uh, wow. It's a good one. Um, Come on. Probably Michigas. That's a good one. Uh, Michigas is like, I mean, there's, you're always dealing with like a day in, day out, whether it's personal, professional, it's just nonsense. Michigas is a great word for just nonsense. It's a great description of Money 2020. We love y'all here, but this is. Yes. We're going to we'll go with Michigas that. going on at Money 2020. Amen. Thanks, man. All right, dude. It yeah, good hanging out. Welcome to Fintech Insider. I'm Sarah Koshansky coming to you live from Money 2020 Vegas, and I'm here with John Hope Bryant. How are you today, John? I'm honored. Honored to be with you. How's it going? I'm blessed. <laughs> um, so, for those who haven't heard any of our interviews with you before, could you give us a quick intro into who you are and what you do primarily? Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm a global citizen. Um, I'm God's child. I'm somebody who's trying to make the world a better place, leave it better than when I and how I found it. Um, I grew up in South Central LA and Compton, California, and was blessed to get out with with all my faculties and my safety in place so that I could return with all of my resources and uh, opportunities in in place and to help people help themselves because there were a lot of very good people who I left behind who just because they didn't have um, good parents like I had and um, didn't have a great nurturing system of support and didn't know they had to get out of that area and go meet people out of their comfort zone. They never got the memo. As I put in my last book, and as a result of that, is what they don't know that they don't know that's killing them, but they think they know. And that's a large part of the world, is people are not dumb and they're not stupid. It's what they don't know that they don't know that's killing them. So uh, one of the things that ties into that that you're, you've been working on and you've spoken to us before is uh, Promise Homes, is that correct? Yes. So is that part of that project? So you told us a little bit about it before, um, the, the initiation of the project. How's it going? What, what, you know, what's changed in the last six months or whatever since we last spoke to you? Well, when you last spoke to me, I think it was at $20 million. Um, It's at $75 million now. Or about 70 million, actually. We own uh, just under 700 homes. Um, when we started last June, we had zero homes. <laughs> uh, so it's been Doing pretty, pretty, well. <laughs> pretty incredible growth, uh, mostly in Atlanta, but also in Florida. 
Okay. Uh, it's a national company. We'll be at a thousand homes if our schedule holds by January. And my goal is to is to make it one of the biggest companies in the country. Period by the year twenty twenty one. And is that your primary focus right now? No, my primary focus is making the world a better place. Um, I tell people when I give when I meet them, I give them two cards: uh, Operation Hope. Well, Promise Homes and Brian Group companies makes my money, and Operation Hope takes my money. <laughs> so, what's Operation Hope for those people who haven't heard of you before? So, it's the nation's largest financial literacy and financial inclusion organization for the invisible class and the underserved. Uh, we're the private banker to the working poor, the working class, and the struggling middle class. Folks with too much month at the end of their money. And is that what you're <clears> going to be talking about here on stage? I'll be talking about all of it. I'll okay. be talking about uh, American exceptionalism. I'll be talking about... What's American exceptionalism for those uh, who don't know? Uh, everybody who, in this audience who's, who's lucky. Because with the exception of Native American Indians and African American slaves, uh, everybody else here is an immigrant. And uh, they're descendants of type A personalities who came here from Ireland, Poland, Germany, wherever, uh, throughout Europe mostly, uh, and Asia and Latin America with a sense of self-determination. That was five generations ago. In some cases, eight generations ago. In some cases, three generations ago. But we sort of take that for granted that that okay, we're Americans. Well, you're you're American, but that's really saying I'm 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 a I'm a I'm a freedom freak. Uh, I'm an independence freak. I'm an opportunity freak. I'm asp- I'm hooked on aspiration. The reason this co- the country is the greatest economy on the planet is because you've got these type of personalities who came from all over the world with a dream to make themselves better. And that's very different from the people that I tend to represent uh, who had that optimism beat out of them, were told that they were not somebody. They told they were not special uh, or believe it. And my job is to reintroduce them back to themselves. So Operation Hope builds you up from a human capital uh, software perspective, FinTech. So it's the software side of the equation. Uh, we raise your credit scores. We get you to recommit to yourself. Um, we prepare you to become to enter into the free enterprise marketplace. And then Promise Homes is almost a payoff of the setup. That's becoming a homeowner. That's uh, leaning into the into the economy. That's getting a twenty five dollar an hour job. It's proving the model on the commercial side. And uh, it sounds like this Promise Homes has been a success so far. Do you have plans to expand that further? Are you going Absolutely. To, yeah, yeah. We're, right now we're the largest minority-controlled institutional quality owner of single-family rental real estate in America, which is both inspiring and a little distressing. That Inspiring for obvious reasons. Did that in a year and a, in a few months. It's distressing because it was so easy to do and the bar is so low, which suggests that maybe a lot of people aren't focusing on what they need to be focusing on from my communities. So uh, my goal is, uh, is, let's just say large. It's a, <laughs> it's a significant objective. I won't give it all away now, but I just, folks should just pay attention. What, what can you give away? Is there anything you can tell us about next steps or that, anything that's looming on the horizon? Um, we're negotiating. We, we just cut a deal with, with Freddie Mac. We just, okay. we just did our first deal with Freddie Mac. We're doing two more with Freddie Mac with a first minority control company to do a deal with Freddie Mac. The first and for our international mm-hmm. listeners, can you explain what Freddie Mac is? Uh, yeah, Freddie Mac is a GSC, a government-sponsored uh, institution, very much like Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are private companies that are government-sponsored, uh, essentially backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government. That's not literally true, but that's the inference. And they're in the housing market. And um, they, they, they step in gaps where the free enterprise system has not to encourage home ownership. 
So for us, they're helping us to, around the area of affordable housing. So we did the first deal for them, acquisition transaction for them around single family uh, rental housing uh, in, the affordable, in the affordable space. Um, we are um, negotiating with Allen and Company on a big deal, which I can't talk about. We're negotiating with Goldman Sachs. Uh, we are. Um, uh, we just did a deal with Invitation Homes, which is owned by um, Blackstone, and Invitation Homes is the largest player in the space. It's our second deal with them. They're, they own eighty thousand homes. Yeah, so it's a lot going on. <laughs> You're a busy man. A busy, a busy man. And outside of the the promise homes, what is there anything else? Any other projects that are coming? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you don't have time for all that on your on your <laughs> well, podcast. What are you most excited about? What's, uh, what's bring, most exciting we're to you right whole, now? Uh, uh, I'm being excited about all of it, but I mean, uh, if you're not excited about life, why are you doing it? Uh, <laughs> life? Uh, I mean, if, if, why, why, why get up in the morning if you're not excited about what you're doing? I mean, don't be half pregnant. Put, put, both, feet, <laughs> put both feet in it and live. Otherwise, go sit down somewhere and let somebody else live. Uh, Operation Hope is, is firing on all cylinders. We've opened 130 Hope Inside locations. We're rating, raising credit scores 120 points in 24 months. Uh, we've just opened up a Hope Inside in, sort of inside of UPS for the workplace. We're open, scheduled to open up a new Hope Inside with Delta Airlines for their employees. Uh, we're in Atlanta Police Department for law enforcement officers because they're filing for bankruptcy at double the national average. Wow. It's pretty dangerous to have a, a law enforcement officer who's stressed out financially. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we are in two school systems, not for the kids, but for the teachers the, and the adults who work in the school system. Um, we are in city halls. Uh, we're in hospitals for the hospital employees who never seem to go home. Uh, our biggest, we're, 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 we've just launched in Puerto Rico with FEMA for so emergency financial disaster response and recovery because after you have a um, an emotional and physical disaster, you didn't have a financial disaster. Now you have a car loan and no car anymore and a home loan and no home anymore and a small business loan and the small business is uh, literally underwater. So we're going into Puerto Rico for mid and long-term economic recovery. We're going to Houston with J.P. Morgan Chase and American Red Cross for mid to long-term recovery from the disasters, the floods there from last year. Um, we are um, working with the federal government now who wants to match fund our work. I think the biggest area that excites me beyond us becoming the Starbucks of financial inclusion in general is in being a, and, and building a thousand Hope Inside locations committed by 2020, operational in the years uh, after that, because it takes a while to stand them up, is our work, in the, our work in the workplace. I think that our work for youth in schools is a game changer, because that's where you find our young people. Our work in the workplace for adults is, is going to be a game changer. No, uh, no different than health wellness was a decade ago. Uh, it was a game changer that, that moderated and managed health care costs that were spiraling out of control. Um, I think that financial wellness, financial well-being is the next big thing in workplaces because I think people are financially stressed out. They have too much month at the end of their money. And also that's groups that you wouldn't even traditionally think of being in that demographic. So as you mentioned, like police officers, healthcare workers, you think have a good, solid, stable job. Actually, they're, they're, more and more people are falling into that group. Well, I mean, if you're middle class today, you feel poor. Yeah. I mean, 64% of all uh, Americans, I know you're a global podcast, but this is, this is actually related to the UK. It's related yeah, to uh, France. I mean, all the developed countries are so, so dealing with the same thing. But specifically in the U.S., 64% of all those 
who live here don't have $500 in time of an unplanned disaster. You have 130 million Americans who have a financial blemish. You have 70% of Americans who are living from paycheck to paycheck. 70%. And this economy is driven 70% by consumer spending. So the, literally the folks who are chartered to do all this great work aren't given the tools to live a great life. And incomes from middle-class Americans have not really arose since the mid-70s and 80s. So you mentioned there, um, and I completely agree, that it's a, a similar case across Europe and else, elsewhere. Would you consider expanding Operation Hope outside of the U.S.? Or no, not just considering it. We're, we're going to do just that. Any more insight? Uh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're talking to friends in France. Uh, I'd love to be in the U.K., frankly. Uh, I see several places in Africa where our work uh, would hit the ground running. Um, Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, Rwanda... It's really a global problem. Uh, it's a global, a global problem. Um, I, I see our work working in Asia. I see our work working in Latin America. Uh, a little harder in the Middle East, um, but I see our work needed probably more than any place in the Middle East. We're negotiating with the leadership in Jordan about bringing our work in Jordan. Uh, I don't see many places where our work wouldn't work, assuming that the, those in power set it free to have an impact. Well, that's great aspirations and I, I really, really hope that you succeed in it because I think it's something that everybody needs. I completely agree. It's a global problem. So um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I understand oh, you're a very, pleasure. very busy man. Oh, I'm glad you guys are here. I want your, your listeners to know and remember, though, uh, as they're listening to this program, uh, that people listen to Dr. King in similar fashions in the 60s. Just another interview, they thought. They listened to Abraham Lincoln. They listened to Frederick Douglass in their day. They listened to Harriet Tubman. Maybe it wasn't on a podcast. Maybe it wasn't on radio. Maybe it was an audience. Uh, maybe it was printed, the, printed, the printed word. But my point is that history never feels historic when you're sitting in it. It just feels like another day. That doesn't mean that you're not sitting in a moment in history, as I think we are today. So I want your, your readers, your listeners, your observers to um, pay attention to how they can make a difference. Massive internships, massive apprenticeships, help somebody help themselves, teach somebody you know or you don't know how to fish. What a great way to close. Thank you so much. Thank you. How can Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university? It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there. Oh, she's fine. She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job. Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly £30,000. Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years. But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt. Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of smartphones with that. Millennials. Future consumers or debt slaves. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra.
Next up, here's Sam, who sat down with Rilla Deloria, who's the CSO of Umpqua Bank. For those that don't know, Umpqua is based out of Portland, right? Right, right, right. Um, but, but you go up the coast. Right. We go Washington uh, all the way down to Southern California. So the whole West Coast and then over to uh, Nevada and Idaho. And that's actually a pretty massive footprint. Yeah, think yeah, about geography yeah. Was. Right. And we only have like 270 stores, so... And, and you, though, shifted from, you used to work at SunTrust. Right. And so Atlanta to Portland, exactly alike. Oh, uh, actually, we love Portland. It is very different politically. Um, a so we bit. don't talk about politics too much, uh-huh. but Portland is beautiful. Um, yeah. Nature is just part of every day. The people are incredibly friendly. It's a small enough city where you can actually make a difference in the city, whereas Atlanta, you just, you're dropping the bucket. And, and it's actually a tech hub, right? I mean, uh, yeah. Josh um, and, and Shamir started Simple yeah. out of Portland. I right. mean, there's, there's, there's actually right. tech talent They there. call it Silicon Forest. That's a new one for me. I've yeah, and it's them. actually a, you know, it's a hotbed for talent and yeah. it's competitive, right? You need to really hold on to your folks because um, Nike, Nike likes some of our people. Yeah, Nike's kind of, you know, they're, they're okay. Yeah, heard they're of them. All right. They're doing yeah. Pretty controversial these days. Yeah. The yeah. book was good. I read the founder's book. I actually enjoyed that. Um, so read yeah. that in a flight, and I actually liked it. So the thing you you've actually been on the road though quite a bit. So Umpqua's figured yeah. out that you can speak really well because you can. <laughs> you're good on stage. And you've been given the digital pitch now for a while. You want to kind of yeah. give a quick summary of of what the view when it comes to digital is for Umpqua? Yeah. Um, you know, we believe that um, digital has been used by banks as an efficiency play. Yeah, and I think, amen. you know, the smartphone came out at the same time as the recession. And so all bankers that lived through the recession saw everything through an efficiency lens. How can we cut costs? How can we take people out of the equation? And digital was seen as that efficiency lever. And I think we missed the boat because actually the, the digital technologies that are really doing the best are ones that connect people together social interaction. Um, Even Venmo has figured that out. I think one of the few in banking that has made digital fun and brought people closer together. So our digital strategy has been how do we keep that humanity, that sense of connectivity between people in our digital channels um, and and just keep them more empathetic. Not not to replace self-service. People just want to sometimes just move money quickly. But when you have a financial question, you want a human to talk to, somebody you trust, which is important and I think a good advantage we have. Um, Somebody you trust, somebody who you believe is going to act on your best interest, somebody who can guide you, but you don't necessarily want to go into a branch or a store or sit on hold and talk to an IVR, like actually have somebody who's just a chat away, um, and that's where GoTo has has come from. So for our our listeners in Europe, um, we're on the East Coast or God knows where, Atlanta, (laughs) <laughs> that aren't familiar with Umpqua. What, what's really interesting about the bank is they, when everyone else was basically tossing aside the idea of, of branches, Umpqua looked at it as community centers, right? Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. bring people in. Right. Let's actually open the doors. We have the foot space, yeah. and let's open it up to the community. And the community actually really embraced that. Yeah. But yeah. but you just can't, like you said, do the one side of it. You need the technology to help get the connection points right. together and bring the, and, and make it even more human. Right. Which sounds great on a stage, but actually doing that? So, yeah. so, what, so what are like some of the products that you, you've led or driven in your short time that you've been there? Yeah. 
Well, Umpa um, took that on as a challenge a couple of years ago and said, how do we take what is so iconically Umpa about the store experience yeah. and build that into digital? And they created an innovation lab called Pivotus um, in Silicon Valley um, that not? built some various pilots on how do we make a more human-centered digital interaction. And one of the products that really hit is called Engage. Um, that's a white-label product available to banks. We call it GoTo. And it's an opportunity for customers to pick their own personal banker. Yep. So you go onto your phone, you can select the banker that you want based on their hobbies, their location, their expertise. And then you develop a secure chat relationship with your banker. Um, and you can text them whatever it is you need and they get back to you. And um, it's different than most other chat where most chats are one to many. This is one to one. And it's also for every customer. So it's not like you need a certain amount of wealth in order to qualify to have your own personal banker. You can have your personal banker no matter who you are. It's concierge servicing for all of your customers, which is everything, right? It's yeah. That, it's that idea. And yeah. digital will let you do that. Right, because it's scalable. And yeah. for the customer, it's so much more efficient. Like I do this, my daughter's in college, she bounced her rent check again. And I <laughs> and text my banker saying, can we put this on automatic payment? Yeah. And I walk into a meeting and I come out and it's done. And like he knew which daughter I was talking about. Yep. He knew which account to set it up from. He you know, validated that with me and I was able to say yes, go. But it took literally nanoseconds for me to handle something that otherwise would have been a real chore. Um, and, and then he also asked other questions like, how have you set up her account? Does she need a credit card at school? You know, not in a salesy way, but a, hey, you've got a kid at college, you might have other financial needs in play. Um, so that's called GoTo, and pretty exciting. We announced today that we sold Pivotus to Kony. Uh, Kony oh, really? GBX. Yeah. I missed that announcement. Which just this morning, so it's not like you've been a little busy here, you know. That's a big announcement. Good it's for you. It's a huge announcement. It's the first time, I think, that a bank innovation lab was sold to a software company. And this isn't City Chase. I mean, Umqua's, Umqua's like top 100, but this isn't. Bank. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking. That's yeah. fantastic. That is I know. actually. I know, pretty cool. That, that gets pretty a fist cool. bump. Yeah. That's incredible. I didn't so, know that. And Kony is perfect. Kony yeah. is. I'm sure you follow them. And they they do great development, go uh, collaboration, open API. So we can sell Pivotus, use the product. They'll continue to invest and enhance the product. But now we can turn our attention to other innovation areas that we want to solve for and um, not be like all our chips on one big bet. Now we can place chips on a lot of other innovation bets. All right. So and for all of y'all that that listen to all the podcasts we have and, and follow us, if you really want to see the story of a bank that, that is proving you don't have to be this top tier, right? You, you don't have to have Chase's $600 million to invest with fintech companies constantly. Right. You right. can do this, and you can do it at scale. Right. Now in particular, I mean, yeah. the way technology has gone with API, we can partner with a lot of the fintech companies that are here, leverage their capabilities to deliver on our strategy. We have to make sure it all fits to our strategy and then connect them on an open platform like Kony. And uh, it's a pretty pretty exciting time to be a small bank. You know, we didn't oh, used to have this. That, that, that's your exit line right there. It's a pretty <laughs> exciting time to be a, to small, be a small bank. bank. And Thank to you. tag that to it. The Kony news is fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited. I love Thanks. that. Good for you. Thank you. Next up, Sam sat down with Shivani Saroya, CEO and founder of Tala. So, you know, we, we were just talking. We were, I think it was about two years ago, we were here at a dinner. 
and I sat next to you, and, and I, I didn't know anything about the company. Right? It was one of those where just kind of show up. I think we were both at that kind of turning point, right? Uh, our company was just starting. 11FS was just kicking off. And I kind of asked you about Tala and what it was. And I remember, I think it was about five minutes into the conversation, I went, oh, my God, this is brilliant. How is, how is this not already happening? Can you kind of describe what Tala is in a nutshell and what you do? Yeah. Um, so Tala is a mission-driven technology company. I always say that first. And I like that. Um, because our mission is actually very critical to what we do. And so our mission is to expand financial access, choice, and control for the underserved globally. Um, and so our first product was really around how do we actually expand financial access. There's about 3 billion people around the world that are currently underserved by traditional financial institutions. Um, and so we said the first thing we have to do is, is increase the size of the pie. Um, and so we developed an Android application that allows us to instantly underwrite a customer using both their behavioral data as well as their device data and other transaction data that we gather. We then also act as a lender and we action upon what that credit score is. Um, and then we service it all digitally as well through the application. Um, and we're currently now working across five different countries. And I love, I love how you touched on the device data. That was the part where I got really excited when you talked about what you're able to do there. Uh, um, can, you, can you dive into that just a little bit? Sure. Um, so when I think of device data or I think of behavioral data, at the end of the day, what anyone is trying to do, whether it's a finance company or a consumer product company, what we're trying to understand is like, what's the intention of this customer? And so with device data, what we want to understand is like, like little things, like what are the other applications you may be using? How can we understand the stories behind who you are? Um, because we don't want to just think of it as like, okay, you have a bunch of gaming apps on your phone. But it's like, what other things, what's the context of who you are? So you might be a gamer. We might also understand that you are fully employed. Maybe you've actually you know, gone to school for computer science. Now all those different things together allow us to then build that story of the person. Because that device really is the hub, isn't it? I mean, especially in, in, in across all these countries. And it's a diverse set of countries that you're in. Yeah. Can you, what are the five countries currently? So we're currently in uh, East Africa. So we're in Kenya and Tanzania. We're in Southeast Asia and the Philippines. And then we're also in Mexico and India. So, so I, let's see. I'm going to check my memory. You did a lot of work in East Africa a while back, and that's kind of where some of the idea came from, right? Because you were literally almost going home to home, if I remember. Yes. So I interviewed a little over 3,500 people in person uh, across so nine different countries. 3,500 <laughs> individuals personally across yeah. nine countries. That is. Yeah. Over what period of time? It was about three and a half years. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That had to be a life-changing experience. Well, obviously, it had to be a life-changing experience. It was. And I mean, I think, you know, we were talking about this before we started, but like, I never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I think of it as I found a problem that I couldn't stop thinking about, you know, and in that sense, like, I felt like I needed to be part of, some, of that solution. And so it meant everything from like connecting with mentors and advisors and anyone that would talk to me about learning more about this issue. It meant like actually you know, learning how to code, actually thinking about saying, I'm just going to have a bias towards action and take the first risk. Um, yeah. I say that should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> have a bias toward action and take, the, I love that quote. You've had a big announcement yesterday with PayPal. Want to fill us in a little bit on that? 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, we announced a strategic investment uh, with PayPal. I love PayPal. <laughs> By the way, I'm just saying they're, yeah. they're consistent, and that's what I like about them. And I think to all of us in the fintech space, I mean, if you look at it, like they are the first company yeah. that really kind of broke out, that scaled. Um, and I mean, the thing I think is that, like you said, they're so consistent, but they're so consistent with their mission. Right? They talk about it and they say their mission is actually about fin increasing the financial health of their customers and for all. And so I don't think it's only in the credit space. It's not only in the wallet. It's like they're really thinking of it as like, what are the enabling features that we need to give to customers so that they can increase their financial health? And so that got us really excited. Don't you think, and, and you started when I asked you what Tala was and you jumped right to that comment around mission driven. Don't you think that's just core? It really is. I think for, so. for, for those of you who are thinking about doing a startup or, or in those early stages, center it around a mission that, that has to be part of this. And it's so good for you in the story that you tell. Like when we were at dinner yeah. and, and you talked about that, I think everyone at the table got excited. And I think we actually started um, almost whiteboarding in our mind how we would make some of this work when you were talking about the, the uh, being able to, to look at the SMS on the phones of these folks and be able to yeah. drill through them and pull that data out. I remember it like triggered everybody at dinner. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of us in the fintech space or in technology, we always talk about it as we're all data driven, right? And I actually think that that's wrong. Like I think at the end of the day, the data is informing your decision. But at the end of the day, I mean, for us at least, we're mission driven. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. We do. We just talk about yeah. data being in oil or data driven. And, and we talked about this yesterday in a debate we had um, in our podcast around, we we're talking about user experience. We're like, I almost hate that word. How about the human experience and how does tech yeah. lift that? Yeah. That's the idea. So where's the best place for people watching this to learn more about Tala? Um, you can just go to our website. You can go to uh, tala.co, C-O. Um, or otherwise, look us up on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, we're everywhere. Uh, easily, <laughs> easily, hands down, one of my favorite companies. I'll just say that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Welcome back. We're here at Money 2020, FinTech Insiders, another great interview. We're joined by Nicholas, the CEO of N26 for the USA. How are you? Good. How are you? Really, really well. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. N26, one of the fintech darlings of Europe, coming to the US. Um, for those yeah. who are unfamiliar with N26, do you want to just remind everybody who you are? Yeah. We are a uh, Berlin headquartered, so based out of Germany. Uh, we're a startup uh, that uh, offers a mobile banking solution, which is uh, pretty cool and amazing. Yes. Customers love it. Uh, we have over one and a half million customers now all across Europe. Uh, we're live in 17 European countries and just announced the UK, um, uh, where we're coming now. Uh, so that's, that's really all amazing and exciting for uh, hopefully our customers and, and definitely for us, the team. We're uh, over 500 people across offices in, again, headquarters Berlin, Barcelona, and also have an office in New York. That's where I come into play, um, and we're looking at launching a product early 2019 here. Early 2019, exciting times. Yep. And so, will the product look like it does in Europe? Is it going to feel like the product in Europe? Is it just going to be a checkings account or checking and savings? What are you guys planning to launch? Yeah, so uh, the essence of the app will be very similar. So uh, you'll 
you can trust that the Ed26 experience that excited so many people back in Europe uh, will also be brought here to the United States. Um, so uh, the app itself is gonna be very similar. It's gonna be a checking account with a debit card. There's a few very nice uh, features such as we, we call it spaces or a few other statistics and, and sort of card control features that are really exciting. Uh, so we'll bring all of that um, over to the US and then also over time start um, adjusting the mending uh, with a few local features uh, throughout 2019. So what do you see as the opportunity and challenges, right? So coming to the US, huge market, but you know, kind of not as uh, there isn't the sort of the uh, passporting situation that you've got in Europe where yeah. you can be licensed, especially by somebody like BaFin in Germany, yeah. and that's considered like the gold standard. You, once you're licensed in Germany, you can kind of passport to all of the other European countries. Mm -hmm. Well, are you seeing a similar thing coming from the OCC FinTech Charter and how, how's all that going? Yeah, um, for us, how we'll, at N26, how we'll start out um, here over in the US is actually by partnering with another bank. Uh, so we'll partner with a bank that has a national charter, which will allow us to operate and offer our banking app uh, throughout the United States. Um, uh, and at the same time, uh, will allow us to focus on the things we need to focus on in setting up our operations and everything else here. So I think that's how we'll start um, in the US. Uh, the OCC FinTech Charter is an interesting one. Um, it sort of was just announced uh, during the time that we came over to the US and we're sort of looking into things. Um, it's not that relevant for, relevant for us um, at N26 because for if you expect uh, large volumes of deposits, it's actually not necessarily the right vehicle uh, because it's also hard to um, get uh, a deposit insurance uh, on it and so forth. So we chose not to go with it. Well, very interesting insight. So um, working with another bank's uh, sort of uh, charter, are you working with their technology or will it be your tech? And we'll use our own tech. So, so we'll it'll be your core system, it'll be your technology sort of thing, but it's just borrowing the charter more or less directly. Yeah, it's a classical program manager model here in the US yeah. uh, where uh, we at N26 will provide basically the branding. Um, uh, we will speak to our customers um, and we'll also provide all the technology um, and then uh, work together with a partner bank on some of the more regulatory topics and then make sure that we are fully compliant and uh, here in the US. And uh, so we can expect that in early 2019. Uh, what's, uh, what else is to come from N26 in the US? Are you going to, going to be at more conferences and uh, where can people reach out to you and find out more about what you do? Yeah, I mean, we're, we have a wait list already going, which is going really well um, on n26.com. Um, uh, if you have a, a USIP, um, otherwise you can switch the countries back and forth on the bottom of our website. Um, so that's our main gateway currently. We have a, a team of 20 people in New York City. Uh, the team is building that product and uh, are very active on social media too. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on Fintech Insider. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that, why not subscribe? Do it already already subscribed well leave us a review then get on with it uh the reviews mean so much to us and we love reading your feedback so tell your friends to do it too